It's good to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to James chapter 5, verse 1. James chapter 5, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have a digital copy on your phone or wherever you may be looking at it, Kindle, iPad, we're equal opportunity here. Um, it will be on the screen for you here in a second. And, and here I want to go ahead and preface our message this morning. was like, here's the reason why we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. Because, and we do that quite often here. In fact, we, we alternate between kind of, you know, some, some sermon series that kind of give us the grand overarching view of the Bible, and then we focus verse by verse, and here's the reason why. Because if you don't go verse by verse, there's some things you won't talk about. And today's passage is not sexy, and it's not fun, and it's really going to make us all uncomfortable, okay? It's like the Bible is there. The Bi- the, the <laughs> That's a good way to start a message, right? Like, oh, you're going to be uncomfortable, okay? Because I've been uncomfortable all week, and you're going to join me in this uncomfortable thing that we got going on here, okay? Because here, here's, the, here's the long and short of the story, is that the Bible is completely inspired by God. It is God's Word, and it is profitable for teaching, every part of it. And so today we're in James chapter 5, been walking verse by verse through the book of James. And if you will, we're going to read James chapter 5, verse 1. I'm talking fast this morning. I've had caffeine. I hope you're ready to go. James 5, verse 1 says this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. You know this is going to be good when it's talking about come now, rich people, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you upon you. The the major premise of this passage is James has been talking to believers, and now this is kind of a, he kind of switches, he goes a little Old Testament on them. He goes a little Old Testament prophet in the people, to the people he's speaking to, and he talks about woe and wailing for the miseries that are coming upon the rich. Now, we talked about this last week, but just in case you weren't here, I want to go back and tell you something. The Bible is not against wealth or riches, the Bible's against you loving those things and placing wealth and riches on the throne of your heart. And the, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, okay? We talked about this last week, that, that ridiculous meme that's going around that somebody says money is the root of all evil. That's not true. The Bible does not teach that, okay? And then it says, if money's the root of all evil, then why do churches ask for it? And you're supposed to go, oh my gosh, the 2,000-year-old faith of Christianity must be complete garbage because of that meme that someone posted. It's a theological term meaning hogwash, okay? That's ridiculous. It's not what the Bible says. And secondly, (laughs) where are you going where they're asking for it? We pass the bucket around. If you feel so, if you, you know, I want you to know so God loves a, a, a cheerful giver and you will reap what you sow, okay? If you sow generously, you reap generously. That's the Bible. But I want you to know something. Am I twisting your arm? <laughs> the baskets will go around and we don't have your credit card on file. Just want you to know that, all right? Just, just, just clearing some things up. Riches are not wrong. Our love for them can make all sorts of evil wickedness come out of us that's already there. It just gives us opportunity. And I do want to go ahead and note something. We have birds. I just heard them. And I just need you to know that because some of you are like, dude, did that thing I just, <laughs> does he have sound effects on? No, it's just birds, okay? And, and <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I did a little ADD moment, <laughs> squirrel, but that's actually birds, okay? See, and this is perfect. You have a little break between the miseries that are, are coming here. What James is doing in this passage is, is he is saying that those who are rich and wicked. In fact, what did Jesus say about, about wealth? It's as hard as a rich man to get to heaven as it is for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. 
And people try to, you know, oh, well, that was a gate in Jerusalem. No, no, take it for what it means. It's really difficult for people who are wealthy because you know why? They trust in themselves. I can do everything myself. I, I attain my money myself. I can buy whatever I need. I can do whatever I want to. I do not need God. Money is kind of this anesthetic to, our, to, to the, the pain that we need to, have, to feel that we know our need for God. And so there is a danger that comes with wealth. And there are, in what he goes a little Old Testament here, and he's talking about there's a group of rich people, and this is not uncommon in the world, and this has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. Those with wealth try to keep their wealth and try to hurt other people with wealth, especially those who have wealth on the, on the seat of their heart, on the throne of their heart, and have greed down deep inside of them. They try to keep and oppress other people and hurt people, and, and that is the thing he's talking about. There is these wicked rich. And quite likely we see, now we know there are some rich believers here. We go back to James chapter 1. He talks about those of you who are poor, exult in your glory, and those of you who are rich. So there are rich people. He says those of you who are rich, this is in James chapter 1. He says if you're rich, then you need to, you need to, exalt in the fact of your humble situation that you had to come to Christ in a humble way to know his riches. So there are rich people in the church. So this is not against rich people in the church who are trying to follow Jesus. This is against people who are unbelievers who have been oppressing the poor. And he says, woe to you, basically. Come listen. Come listen, you rich, you wicked rich. Those of you who have money on the seat of your heart as the, as the ruler weep and howl, and those are words that we don't use a lot, especially when you think about, but they're Bible words about know that something's coming your way that you need to be very concerned about. There's pain coming. There's trouble coming. It's like when you were a kid and your mom maybe said, wait till your father gets home. And fear welled up within you, Okay. Now, my dad was not, my dad really, I, don't, I can only count a handful of times where he ever came home and, and, you know, disciplined me, but I remember those times that he did. I mean, he didn't go crazy on me. I mean, he wouldn't hit me with a two-by-four or anything. I was going to find my dad. You know, he was tasering me. No, but I just knew, like, when he came home, it meant business. And that is what he's doing. He's calling them to attention that you will not get away with your greed and what it has done. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl at the miseries that are coming upon you. This is talking about the judgment that is to come. And so that's why I mentioned at the very beginning, this is going to make us uncomfortable, because this is a word of judgment in the midst of this encouragement to walk in faith. And, you know, we need words of judgment. We need to hear those, because words of judgment point us to the need of refuge in Christ. And he says to these wicked rich, he said, there is something coming. Misery's coming. Go ahead and start crying now because stuff's coming your way. And here's the reasons why. So verses 2 through 6, he unpacks the reasons why. Now, I want you to hold, hold fast with me. I'm going to help you see here, hopefully, by God's Spirit, hopefully help you see what the problem with the rich are and then, say, and then ask the question, why on earth did James put this here? Because it seems odd and out of place for him just to go all Old Testament on them. Old Testament prophet. Verse 2, here are the reasons why they should be wailing because of the miseries to come. Verse 2 says this, they've hoarded wealth. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. 
Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and, and will eat your flesh like fire. I tell you, this is not a real easy message, right? He says, you're well. He says, what, what, you're hoarding things, okay? And first off, what the first thing that they're hoarding? In verse 2, it says, you, your riches have rotted. They're hoarding riches. Now, this could be, in a lot of ways, they may, it, most of the time, how we do it in America is you measure your wealth by what you have in your accounts, like your bank accounts. It usually is just a digital number to us, okay? Something you can go check. Like maybe today before you go out to eat lunch, you're going to go home or you're going to get your phone out. You'll be like, do I have money to go to lunch? Okay. And you're like, maybe not. <laughs> Spam, okay? PB&J's happening. Ramen's happening, okay? We judge our wealth by those figures that we can see in a bank account. However, wealth is not always measured that way, and especially in this time period, wealth could be measured by commodities in which they could store. Jesus tells a story about a man, and this is in the Gospels, who has built these big barns and filled them with all the food that he could need for some time. And then he says, bam, tonight your soul, God comes to him and says, tonight your soul is required, and none of that stuff you've gained matters. That's pretty heavy. And here's the idea here is that this these wealthy people have hoarded, and when we see their riches, their riches could be referring to their commodities that they stored up, the food that they had stored up, the, the, all the things they could come with. They had enough food in, the, in their, their storehouses, and their bank. They, they don't run the grocery store. They had enough. And so what we have here is, it says, your riches have rotted. Now, this is also, the, the verbs here are in the perfect tense in the Greek, and that all, what, what you need to know about that is it's a process that has started that will be completed. So right now, because I want you to know something. Right now, judgment is coming. It's on its way. Like, time is ticking down. There's a reason why we like disaster movies. Summer's coming. And you know I'm talking about when I say a disaster movie. It's like every movie, they're saving the world. Okay? Like, there's this big thing coming. The aliens have showed up. Or, oh, no, the polar ice caps have melted. And look at the giant tsunami that's going to come. It's 2012. Oh, my gosh, there's some weird calendar from the Aztecs. And that's got to be the end of the world because it stops there. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. There's, there's all of these disaster flicks that come out during the summertime. And you know what? It, it, it's fun to watch because it's like you're just watching all the cool digital effects and everything. That's one reason you like it. And there's always a hero. You like that. And then, you know, Hollywood makes them so you kind of connect with that hero, but really what it speaks to us is that we know time's ticking down and there will be an end, like a cataclysmic end. And so what's happening here is he's calling these guys to think about the end. You rich people, you have hoarded all of these riches, these commodities. They're already in the process of rotting. You smelled a rotten potato, by the way. One summer, I took some kids on the, on, to a youth trip. Um, in New York City, and we were in Harlem at a soup kitchen, one of the famous soup kitchens. I think we were like the least famous people who ever served there. I mean, they had pictures of the Globetrotters and pictures of like the New York Giants and the Jets and all these people serving at this place. And then we're like, we're from a church in Georgia. And so we were there and we were going through, and I spent the better part of a day in the basement of this place with a couple other kids going through potatoes. We went through potato after potato after potato, and half of the potatoes were rotten. On the subway ride home, people noticed how bad we smelled. Because a rotten potato is like a monk up there with some of the most nasty smells you can have. 
And that's the idea. Like your commodities, your things, your riches you're stored, they're, <laughs> they're corroding, and they're in the process of being fully corroded and corrupted. They have hoarded for themselves all this wealth, and now it is rotting as they speak. Speaks of the fact that the wealth is finite. It also speaks to the fact that what we hold dear will ultimately be burned away at the very end when we stand before a good, righteous judge. Then it goes on and says, Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. I, I don't have a reason that, in my mind, that mothballs exist. Right? Now, they used to exist for a reason. It used to be a problem for clothing. Moths would eat clothing, and maybe you still have that problem. But most of the time, mothballs, I think, are just for, for like your grandmothers and great-grandmothers to put in their house to make you uncomfortable when you go over. Okay? <laughs> what is that? It's soup and mothballs. Not together. That would kill you, okay? I'm just making soup, and I got mothballs in the corner. Why? I don't know, okay? You don't know why those things exist. I mean, some, some people say they keep snakes away. They're supposed to keep moths away, but apparently that used to be a thing that was against your clothing. And we're talking about these, these rich people who have accumulated for themselves, obviously some finery, and they're saying the clothes that you have accumulated are being destroyed by moths, it's a perfect again. It's already started, and it will continue. The things that you have hoarded up, these wealth, these riches that you have, they are decomposing and will one day be burnt up. And it says, your gold and your silver have corroded. Now, if you know anything, and some of you who are, like, who are science people are like, <laughs> we know that gold and silver will not corrode. Yeah, I, I get you. Okay, I get you. But you know who made gold and silver? God, okay? You know who could actually destroy it? Him. So just take it for a second. There is a there's a little bit of poetic language going on here. And he's saying that which you think is so precious and so unfading that it will never go away will be corroded. It's already started the process. Maybe it's corroded in value. Maybe it's corroded in other ways, but it will one day be burnt up, especially since it's an idol on your heart and it's that thing which you store. I want to just give you just a warning. This intersects at a place that makes us uncomfortable because we love stuff and riches. And you're not thinking, I'm not rich. Compared to the rest of the world, we are so rich. And that is why I became so very uncomfortable with this passage. And I'm like, man, if I could skip this, I would because it's making me very uncomfortable because I know something about myself. I got some. I don't have a lot of money in the bank, but I have. I got money in the bank. Some. Some of you may have a lot of money in the bank. I got a lot of clothes in my house, and a lot of shoes at my house. And I'm thinking like, <sighs> and 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 I watch these commercials, and you can know what kind of TV show you're watching by what commercial. You know, if they're advertising catheters, you know, you're probably watching some older. You know. <laughs> Not necessarily. I mean, that just you know the case. And then there's some of these that they're advertising to you, um, like go go. You know, invest in gold. You know, because if the <laughs> world ends and there's an apocalyptic attack, you'll have gold, like a troll. I buried it in the yard. And then they got Cal, you know, got uh, you know, Cal Petty. You know, he's hawking that stuff. Buy gold coins from the U.S. Treasury. It'll be worth something. Buy that. 
I want you to know something. That might be a good investment strategy. I'm not here to talk about your economics, okay? I don't, I don't, that's not my business. I am not into economics, but I will tell you this. If you're putting your trust in the fact that you can buy, buy gold on the phone and it comes to you and keep your financial bearings safe, you are putting your trust in the wrong thing because the one who made gold will destroy it. And its worth is only dependent on what people will pay for it. There's a day coming when the things that we hoard will come to nothing. And it says this, verse 3, your gold and your silver have corroded. And their corrosion, the fact that you have so much that it is decomposing, that you had so much to corrode, will be evidence against you. There's obviously a judgment coming. This is not a popular thing, but it's a true thing, that there is a judgment coming. It's a judgment from a holy God upon sin. The judgment of a holy God upon us having idolatrous hearts that run away. And there are these rich, wicked people who have money on their hearts, and they've accumulated for themselves wealth. This wealth, they think, will sustain them and hold them, but it's actually corroding. It's not just corroding and will be one day wiped away. It is evidence against them at the judgment that they have loved the wrong thing, and they have put their trust in the wrong thing. And it says this, you have laid up treasures in the last day. Now, that is, that is what we call sarcasm. You've laid up treasures for yourself. Now, you remember what Jesus says, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Wait a minute, doesn't that sound similar language here? James, obviously, I think in the back of his mind, the words of Jesus are just kind of circling. He says, don't store for yourself treasures on the earth, but store for yourselves what? Treasures in heaven, And so that is the aim and goal of a believer is not to accumulate wealth here. Now, it's nothing wrong. We talked about this. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with managing your wealth right. There's nothing wrong with, with having things. In fact, God will bless many of you with a lot of things, and that is great. But I want you to know something. That wealth is, can be very, very dangerous, when it becomes your treasure, and when, by storing up treasures for themselves, there he's that's 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 kind of a it's it's ironic. It's it's a play on words of saying you are storing up by storing up your treasures, you are storing up judgment upon yourself. Now this makes me so uncomfortable. This is written as a judgment against those believers who are persecuting people in the church, but it also should serve to us as a warning. A warning about our behavior sometimes shows what we really believe. We may say, yeah, I know that my treasure's in heaven. I know that. But our heart says, my treasure's on the earth. More, more, accumulate gold. Accumulate things, accumulate stuff. And the reason I say that is because I know it. I look in my closet and I see, I'm talking about moth-eating stuff, I'm talking about having too much. I see too much. And I become very uncomfortable here. And I want you to know something. Jesus should regularly make us uncomfortable. In fact, if if your Jesus does not make you uncomfortable, it's likely that you made him in your own image. Because if your Jesus affirms everything you affirm, 
and is against everything you're against, what you have done is you've, tried, you've made this Jesus up in your own likeness and own image so that you could beat up the people you like or don't dislike, and you could pick up and lift up the causes and people you do like. But the Jesus of the Bible is constantly making people uncomfortable, like just constantly. And to talk about riches and wealth, immediately some of us would dismiss that. I'm not rich. Do you have more than you need for one day? Most of the people he was writing to, they live day to day. Not paycheck to paycheck. They live day's wage to day's wage. (laughs) Do you have enough clothes to pack them and go on a trip for a week? You're far more rich than most of these folks that he was talking this time. And so we try to dismiss. We try to say, well, a lot of people are, you know, riches show ingenuity and hard work. They do sometimes. But sometimes they just show our idols that things will go after the most. I want you to know something. Jesus is far too liberal for conservatives and far too conservative for the liberal. He is, for those who like the rules, he's far to the left with grace. And for those who like grace and use that as an opportunity to sin, he is far to the right because he is holy. I want you to know something. Jesus should create this rub like sandpaper in our hearts to move us towards the holiness of God. You don't got him figured out. This word of God shows you a full picture of who he is. And that is this, he is going against wealth. And I want you, I want to warn us about wealth. I want us to warn, I want to warn you and me. It's a warning to us that money can be dangerous because it gets on the throne of our heart so easily and it's hard to eject it from there. And we accumulate more and more and more and more and more and more. And sometimes we've put our treasure in the wrong places. So I know that's not popular or easy to hear, but I think Jesus needs to move us. You ever got, you ever got stuff in your shoe, like grit, a little pebble, and you've been walking on it for a while, and maybe you keep it going for about an hour because you're with people and you don't want to be the person that takes off their shoe and sock like in front of a lot of people. Maybe you got some toe things going on. I don't know. You don't want to do that, but what's happened is that little pebble has created discomfort, and what does it make you do at the end? Remove the shoe to remove the pebble, and I want you to know something. That is what truth is like. Truth can encourage us and take us to the heights of joy, but it also can show us the depths of sin and the necessary thing we need to do to to turn from sin and turn more towards Christ. And these warnings about riches, <laughs> folks, wealth can be dangerous. It's not wrong to have it, but it can be dangerous. It's like, it's like a weapon. It's not wrong to have it, especially in Tennessee, okay? But if you leave them out on the table or you sleep with it or whatever, Leave the safety off. Don't take the training. Don't aren't mindful of it. What? It can be so devastatingly dangerous and ruin your life. That is what money is, and we need to constantly evaluate. And some of you are going to come to me after this, after this message and be like, what, am I too rich? 
I don't know. We're going to trust the Spirit of God to convict. You feel a little convicted? Do something about it. Sell something. Give something. Be more generous. I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit of God. And you're thankful for that. You should be, okay? Because <laughs> the Holy Spirit, as far as I know, doesn't wear orange shirts, okay? I mean, that's just, that's far as I know. I just want you to just see this, that it should serve as a warning. Now, this is a judgment on those who are wicked and rich. It's not a judgment on the church. It's not a judgment on the people of God. It's a little break here. It's a judgment on these rich, and apparently the rich were persecuting the poor, especially the poor in the church. But I just want us just to serve as a moment. Just, just pump the brakes and get warned a little bit that wealth, is, wealth can be dangerous. Now, I want you to see this. This is here, verse 4 talks about not only they're hoarding wealth, and that was the problem. The second thing it says is that that, they, that these people, these wicked rich, they were withholding wages from laborers. In verse 4, if you would, let's go back to that. Verse 4 says, Behold, the wages of the laborers have mowed who uh, Let me say that again. Excuse me. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of of the Lord of hosts. So not only are they guilty, these wicked rich, they're guilty of hoarding all this wealth, but secondly, they're guilty of defrauding people what they are owed in wages. And that is crying out to God, and he is not deaf to it. So let's think about this. Most people, I mentioned this previously, most people of that age, they worked not paycheck to paycheck. They lived day to day. And a day's laborer, especially according to um, even the book of Leviticus, a a laborer, if you're following the law of God, they needed to be paid, a day laborer needed needed to be paid every day. You know why? Because they accounted on that money to eat. That's why they call it a lot of times in the Bible a day's wage. They literally, they got enough money to eat from the, that day's work. And the Bible, um, God, and, and the Bible says, pay that labor what they're owed because they need to eat, they need to support their family, and it's wicked for you not to pay them what is owed. They, this is a corporation or a, a rich person who is taking advantage of those who have no means to fight them and is withholding wages. Now, so many of us, maybe you've seen some type of disenfranchisement through companies and wealth, and, and you've seen that firsthand, but maybe something is held out of your check, or the company requires this that's not due you. That happens all throughout the world. It's better here than it is in other places, but we have lots of work to do in America. But you can imagine how the sweatshops and the, and the, the, the slave factories that are, exist all around the world, and, and you can see that these things still take place in the world today. And I want you to hear this. There's a judgment on the rich because the fact that they've defrauded their workers has made it to the ear of God. I can see this. You ever watch kids play? They're cute when they're little. They're dangerous. They find everything sharp and they could kill them. I mean, it's like they're like lemmings. <laughs> they try to walk off cliffs, and then they get a little bit older, and they stop trying to kill themselves, and they try start trying to kill each other. Leave kids unattended for some time. Five, six, seven, twelve. Okay, <laughs> I mean, they will find a way. And if you just kind of listen out, they be you know they're talking to each other. They say things they shouldn't say. They they get on each other and they get mad and. 
parent walks by and hears somebody say, I'm going to do this to you. And you pluck that head in the room. Death eyes, right? Boy, <laughs> it's coming. Okay? You go all Wyatt Earp on them. Tell them Wyatt Earp's coming. Hell's coming with me. Okay? That's that's what you get like that with a little tombstone on them. And you're like, it's coming. It seems like all's fair. Nobody will know, especially if you have the power to, to disenfranchise and that kind of stuff. You have the power to do this. Note this, that one of the reasons James has this is a reminder to the rich and a reminder to all of us that God sees and he will judge. He sees. It says the, the cries of the laborers who have been defrauded will make it to him. I want you to know this, believer. I think this is one of the reasons it's here. John Calvin talked about why this passage is here, and this is one of the things he mentioned. This is here to encourage us. This is here to encourage us that the Lord is not deaf to the sufferings of his people. In fact, quite honestly, what the reason this is here is because James's readers, and he's not talking about being patient later on, that you be patient in these sufferings. Quite honestly, most of these people here who are not rich, there's some rich in the church, but most of them were not rich in the church. More, more than likely, they were being oppressed by these same people, maybe because they had followed Christ and turned away from Judaism. That may be one of the reasons. But we do know this, that it, for this to be here, there is some oppression by wicked, rich folks who've accumulated wealth and are taking advantage of those who can't help themselves. And the Lord is not deaf to that. And I want you to know this believer in Christ. The Lord is not deaf to your persecutions. The Lord is not deaf to those who do injustice against you. The, wor- the Lord is not deaf to those things. He will punish those things. He will punish them. Now, it's a funny thing that we get to this place where we want the Lord to punish those who've done wrong against us, but we want him to have slack with, with us, right, in the way we've done other people. I want you, this is a call to us to, to be people who are about the fairness and goodness of God towards the poor and to the disenfranchised and to all. Remember that whole thing about impartiality he puts here? That's The Lord is crying out for us to be a voice to those people. And he's also crying out for those of us who have been persecuted, or those who have lost, or those who have been in difficult situations, and justice has not been done in your life. He knows. Do you know what that means? He will pay for it. You are not responsible to pay back that person. The Lord will handle it. That takes a, that takes a weight off. Because Some of you are walking around with these big, huge chips on your shoulder. And you're so mad about how people have treated you. And you can't forgive and you can't move on. And I'm a, forgiveness doesn't mean like you're best pals with that person, okay? Just FYI, okay? But it does mean you just can't, you can't forgive. You can't walk in Christ's love because of that. You're just, you're just continually bitter and hard. And you're always like, the world has been tough on me, so i got to be tough on everybody else. I want you to know something. If you're in Christ... He will take care of the injustice. He took care of your injustice on the cross, and he will take care of their, their injustice against you, either on the cross if they believe in him, or one day in judgment coming. So you don't have to, you don't have to make sure they pay. You get, just go ahead and just take a deep breath. That person that's done you wrong, you don't have to hit them with your car. That person 
that has done you wrong, you don't have to harbor those ill will, those feelings of ill will. That corporation, that the person that stole from you, the person that did this to you, I'm telling you, if we all held on to all the bad things that have been done against us, it will drown us. But this is good news to believers. We wait patiently for the day for him to take vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Oh, and these people who have withheld wages in verse 4, behold, the wages of the laborer who you have held back from the field. I mean, in essence, they're keeping these people from living and providing for their children. This is some serious stuff, which you have kept back by fraud. If there had been a 2020 or Dateline going on at this time, this would have been the expose. They'd be all over the ABC News, but that was not the case then. These people were defrauding people and getting away with it. But what does the Bible say? You have li- it says in verse 4, behold, the wages of the laborers, you have mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud. They're crying out against you. There's a whistle being blown. The sovereign God hears it, hears the sin, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Now that sounds very like holy and big Bible, I Lord of hosts. Okay? He goes home and says, the Lord, you're praying sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you're like, sometimes you feel like you got to get KJV when you're praying. Thy will be done, Lord Jesus. You know, you feel like that somehow like takes you to like that ratchets you to the next spiritual level. You know, I gotta put a th on everything. Help me eat this pizza if okay. I mean you just you get that. And so we think you oh Lord of hosts. You know that means armies. And that's such a hard idea for us to think about because a lot of times in our popular vernacular we think of angels as like, oh little angel. <laughs> okay? Look at the little cherub. It's like Cupid everywhere. These are horrifying creatures in the Bible. They're scary. They shine forth with the glory of God. They're really scary things. And the Lord of Armies says, <laughs> the idea is like, I'm coming. I heard what you did. I'm coming. And I'm not, I'm not just coming by myself. I'm coming with an army. What army? A big one. That's a big army. Bible sees Jesus, yes, as a suffering servant. That's how he came the first time. The next time he comes, like a WWE wrestler, big tattoo down the side. He's coming with the cl- he's coming on the white horse that's gonna scare people to death. He's the lamb and he will come as the lion. He can take care of you and what people have done against you. He's got that. You don't have to walk with that crippling you any longer. Then it says, verse 5 and 6, it says, you have lived, and this is another one, man, it makes us, it's that pebble in our shoe. It's that Jesus that's moving us away from how we think he is. He's that wild, relentless lion. He's Aslan. He is that one who is, who is not safe, but he is good. And in verse 5, it says, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have, this is, this pictures, do you remember the rich man and Lazarus parable that Jesus told? If you don't remember this, you go back and look at it in the Gospels. And in that situation, we have this rich man named, we have a rich man who dies and a poor man named Lazarus who dies. The rich man had lived in luxury his whole life. He did not care about the poor. He did not care about the things of God. And he is burning in hell. And we have Lazarus who was taken into Abraham's bosom. He goes into heaven. He's with God. 
And we have this conversation going on between the two, and that's why I think it's a parable and not a situation that happened. So there's this parable they're talking, and he says, and 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 in talking back and forth, the the narrator of the story, Jesus says, "You've already had your good stuff on the earth, and now you will suffer for what you did with it." Lazarus had tough times, but he had hope and faith, and now he will know the joys of heaven and being with God. And that's the idea here is that you had your fun with all of the, all of the evils and all of your luxury. Oh, you've had fun. You got all your cash. You got all your planes. You got all, well, not planes then because they didn't have them, but you got all your camels, I guess, you know, they're on rims, 20 inch. I don't know. You have it all. I got a camel with three humps, all right? I had it added. Slow murmur. You lived in luxury and in self-indulgence. It says you have fattened your heart in the day of slumber. Their wealth has made them like animals who fatten up to be slaughtered. Verse 6 says, you wicked rich, you have condemned and murdered, which means they t- it condemned is a legal term here, and so it's the idea of they've taken people to court and they've stole their property and they've hurt people with their th- with all their means, and it says they've murdered the righteous person. Maybe that's not like directly murder, but it could be um, figurative language saying that basically you have disenfranchised and stole and hurt people to such a degree in which you've basically murdered them. They may have actually murdered people by withholding wages. We see in verse four, they may have made people starve. And it says this, he does not resist you. That's a weird, it's a weird phrase here, and there's some debate about what that means, but I think it means this, that, that the person here, the righteous person, has no way of resisting because this person is so wealthy, but the Lord will pay vengeance. And this luxury that they lived in will be turned into mourning and wailing. So it serves as a warning for us that riches are dangerous. It serves for us as a reminder that the Lord will hear the injustices done to his people, and he will take care of that so we don't have to carry that. And then finally, this is a reminder of us not to be envious of the rich. There's shows that have come on all throughout time that show people's wealth and extravagance. You got back in the day, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous with Robin Leach. More modern, not really that modern anymore, but on MTV for a while, you had MTV Cribs coming out. Anytime you, you ever seen somebody's house and you drive by with a little like, well, look at that thing. Well, you need 7,000 square feet. If you want to go see big houses, all you got to do is go drive to Franklin, okay? They're everywhere. And you look at that and you just, I can't believe that. Part of us gets, gets like, you know, a little self-righteous about it. Look at that, I'm wasting their money. (laughs) The judgment's coming, sucker. Okay? Part of us goes there. Then there's another part of us that goes, I want that. You see that car with the cool backup camera, it parks itself, that's dangerous, but you know what I'm saying. You see that car, and you're like, I want that. You see that big house, I want that. You see that, you see that, you know, going to the big, nice restaurants, you see the clothes, you see that, and you say, I want that. They are appealing. Well, what does John tell us in First John chapter 2? He says, do not love the world or the things of this world. The things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the desire of the eye, 
pride and possessions. They're all fading away. This judgment stands as a reminder to us that just because you're rich doesn't mean you're happy. Doesn't necessarily mean you're unhappy either. I just want to be clear about that. But it doesn't necessarily result in abundant life. In fact, it can keep us from abundant life. We should not envy those wicked, right, those wicked rich folks. We should not envy the things. We should not envy the stuff. We should live in contentment with what Christ has given us, knowing that with more wealth comes trouble. And praying, and then to be wary and, and concerned if we do experience wealth, that we give it under the lordship of Jesus, and it doesn't become the idol on our heart and keep us from getting through that needle. This should be to us a reminder that we shouldn't covet what others have, but be thankful for what we have been given and to know whatever comes our way, whether it's riches or it is destitution, that every part of our lives should be placed under the lordship of Christ, and it's not necessarily the cash that will make us content. overwhelming lordship of Christ, and this is a reminder to us that we should not envy those who have everything but have lost their soul. We should take everything, even our riches that come our way or the riches that don't, captive to Christ and give them to Him. This is uncomfortable for us because we can see both sides of the situation. Most of us in this room are not wealthy considered, like if you compare us to Bill Gates, okay? But many of us, most of us, are wealthy compared to the world at large. And we have this wrestle for our souls. And this reminds us that this life is fleeting. Riches are fine to have, but they can kill us and drag us down. And we should not envy anyone or anything and covet what they have, but we should be content and excited and in love with our Christ. So, I know this has been a hard one. It's been hard for me. This is a pebble in my shoe. It's like having, I've having, it's like having Dr. Scholl's with sandpaper glued to them, okay? Because, I mean, I just want to take off the shoe and look at the rawness and say, ah! And I don't know what the answer is for you to do. I don't know what it looks like exactly in your life, but I want you to know something. If riches have control, you need to take some steps to get them out, to let them be out of control and let Christ reign. I don't know what that is. Give something away. It was a, re- it was a really tough situation. This is so ridiculous that I still think about this because I was a youth intern, 19 years, 18 years old, and I was teaching a bunch of sixth grade boys in a discipleship class in High Springs, Florida, and I still think about this. We did this, this 40-day discipleship manual. We had to give away one thing that we really loved to show how much stuff had a hold on our hearts. And I still think about this today. So what does that say about me? I had these really cool sunglasses, like aviators, okay? And they were like, I loved them. And I had gotten them for the summer. And I, Lord, just like it was, I had to lead out in the study, okay? If you're like part of the study, you can like get away with it. Yeah, I'm going to give away a Pez dispenser. I mean, something that doesn't matter. Okay, I had these brand new sunglasses, and I gave them to this kid, 
And I still think about those were good sunglasses. I don't think I've ever found sunglasses like that before or since. And I still think about that. I mean, you just got to give something away. Maybe you need to be generous. Maybe you need to take the clothes out of the closet and give it to Goodwill, not so you can buy more. But just so you can sow wealth, you don't reign. You don't reign. Jesus reigns on the throne of my heart. Warning about wealth. Encourage that God will take care of those who have oppressed you and a reminder that you do not need to covet what the rich have. More money, more problems. Right? Let's pray. God, you are so good to us that you warn us when we are in danger. That you call us away from sin and you call us to yourself. And God, we mourn and wail for those who are rich. And we mourn the trouble that's coming their way. God, we also mourn our own sin that puts money on our hearts and on its throne. God, we pray that you would help us to give justice, believe doing justice in your hands so that we may walk in freedom from those burdens. We care that we must repay others for what they have done to us. Help us know that injustice reaches your ear and that you will you will pay for it one way or the other. You will take care of it. You will execute justice. And God, help us be content with where we are and what we have and what you've given us. Help us not envy or covet those who are rich, and even especially those who are rich and wicked and far from you. Help us to be salt and light in this world. Help us to help the poor and the disenfranchised. Help us not to walk in covetousness, but walk in the Spirit. Help us to be generous. And we pray all this in the one who was the, in the name of the one who was the most generous, Christ, who left the glories of heaven to pay the penalty for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Let's stand. We're going to be dismissed with these words of benediction. Appropriately, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7 says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Go in his grace. You're dismissed.